This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. Listen, though God knows all things and though Jesus is God, he is fully God and fully man. However, Jesus voluntarily restricted his knowledge when he took on the limitations of humanity. He divested himself of his glory. He comes from heaven to earth and he enters into our, our time-space continuum. You know, God is outside of time and space. During Jesus' ministry on earth, he shared he didn't know when his second coming would be. If Jesus is one with God, then why doesn't he know? Pastor Gary's message today explains that when Christ humbled himself to come to earth, he voluntarily gave up some of his knowledge. When Jesus became a man, there were limitations associated with doing so. This is one example of the humility Jesus took on when coming to earth as a man. He was one with God and lowered himself so that you could have a personal relationship with the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Hey, let's open our Bibles and go to uh, Mark's Gospel. We're in chapter 13. Last week as we started here into chapter 13, we we took note uh, Jesus is leaving the temple court area. Uh, This is the Passover week. Uh, We commonly call it the Passion Week. This is the time in Mark's Gospel between Palm Sunday and Easter, the resurrection of Christ. And, uh, and, And as Jesus on one occasion in that week was leaving the temple court area, and all of his disciples, of course, are impressed by the, the magnificent uh, building and the structure there. And, you know, Herod had done this incredible rebuilding project of the temple courts and the temple itself. You know, they're astonished and they take a, a time to point out to Jesus, wow, you know, aren't these great, these buildings and these stones, the temple of God, this is magnificent. And Jesus, in effect, says, well, I tell you the truth, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And he prophesies about the day uh, about 37 uh, years later, when uh, the Romans will come, besiege Jerusalem, and they will completely destroy the temple and completely dismantle it. Not one stone will be left upon another, and only a, a small section of the ancient wall that was rebuilt during Herod's time still remains. It's called the, the Western Wall, or the Jews refer to it as the Wailing Wall, because they go there to wail about how there is no temple there still to this day. And, and then his disciples, after Jesus says such a thing like that, you know, the, uh, not one stone will be left upon another, then they ask him, well, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Mark doesn't add the end of the age part, but Matthew does. Matthew says that the, full to- the totality of their question was, when will these things begin to happen? When will you come again? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, goes through a list and I've pulled out just 12. You could make your own list. Probably the numbers would be a little different. And this is somewhat of a repeat of Matthew chapter 24, which is really even in more detail. 
And so for that reason, I'm not going to go through a lot of detail. You can go back to the teaching library, listen to the teaching on Matthew 24, and it's a lot more detail about some of these signs. But, but this much we have in the, in the text here of Mark 13. He talks about how false messiahs and, and false prophets will come, and uh, there will be wars uh, and rumors of wars. Not every war is a sign that he's that he's on his way. We, we know that we're living in the time of his imminent return, but you know all this kind of conflict and the strife and things that are happening are the beginning of birth pains, Jesus said. You know, there's, there's a time when a woman goes into labor and it gets more and more intense to, at, at the point of actual delivery. And so, you know, some of these things that he talks about are the beginning of birth pains, he says. You know, the, these, these will lead up to the ultimate you know, coming of Christ, but, but they are not necessarily the most intense things that will be happening yet. It's going to get really, really bad. We haven't seen nothing yet, so to speak. So false messiahs, false prophets, there will be wars, rumors of wars, there will be earthquakes, there will be famine, uh, there will be persecution of Christians. We see this happening, of course, not so much here right now, but who knows. The more we take a stand for our faith and the more our culture continues to turn away from God, we're going to see persecution of Christians happening more so even in our own country. Uh, the good news is there will be the spread of the gospel. There, we are living in a time unlike any other time when the gospel is advancing around the world because of technology and, and the Internet and, uh, and satellites and everything associated with that. Uh, he also talks here about how there will be betrayal, there will be rebellion and hatred among people, there will be the, the coming of the Antichrist, uh, some political uh, charismatic world leader who will unite countries under really what will end up being a one world, he will end up being a one world dictator. You know, we see how all the economies of the world are so intricately now these days tied together. When one country falls, that there's a ripple effect. And so, you know, coming together, bridging all the economies, one world government, it's, it's going to be happening. Uh, at what point are we removed in, in this list here? Will we be here when the Antichrist is revealed, or will, will we be gone? Will the Lord come and take us from the earth before the Antichrist is even revealed at all? Somewhere in that time, uh, but we don't know whether we will know who he is and then be taken, or be taken before we even know who he is. So I'd rather just go before I know who the guy is, frankly, altogether. I don't need to know. Number nine, unparalleled distress on the earth. Uh, and number 10, false signs and false miracles to deceive, Jesus said, even the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. Don't be deceived. Test all these kind of supernatural things. Not everything that is supernatural is of God. Please test those things. And then, of course, number 11, cataclysmic world events. There will be meteor showers and, there, and the ocean will be turned to blood. There will be the devastation of of greenery on the earth, there will, there will be all kinds of things, hailstorms, all kinds of things, in addition to earthquakes and natural disasters will be rampant, and the book of Revelation describes those things between chapter 6 and 18, and then of course the Lord himself will return, and that's what verse 26 is, and that's where we left off. So here in Matthew 13, 26, it says, at that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, please understand, and some, I know many of you know this, but for those of you who don't, the, the, the second coming of Christ, when we use that term, the second coming of Christ, it's really two phases. The second coming of Christ is in two phases. The first phase is when the Lord will come in the clouds, not all the way to the earth, but just enough to receive 
the church, and it's called what we call the rapture. And, and Paul talks about it uh, uh, most extensively uh, in the book of Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, the word rapture is nowhere in the Bible except if you read Latin. And, then, and the Latin version of the Bible speaks about the seizing of the church. And, and the Latin word is raptus. It's where we get our English word rapture. That there will be a taking from the earth those who are believers prior to all these horrible world events. And the Lord will come in the air to take the church to rescue us from the earth. And Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about there's a generation that will not experience death. There will be one generation that does not experience death that instead, if you're a believer in Christ, instead of dying, you will be immediately taken. You will be raptured from the earth. You will get a glorified body on the way up to heaven and you will never have to experience death. And that'll be a glorious thing. And, and that's the first phase of his second coming. But then there's the worst of the tribulation period that is unleashed upon the earth. And, and uh, Paul says in Thessalonians that it is not God's will that you should suffer wrath, but that you might receive salvation. So, you know, there's great debate about, you know, how much of the tribulation will Christians go through? Any, some of it, all of it, none of it. And, you know, my disposition is when, when you take the full counsel of Scripture, I think the best argument is that the church is taken before the tribulation period. And, and we're kept safe in heaven. We do return with the Lord. That's the second phase of a second coming. At the end of all of this that happens upon the earth, then the Lord returns to the earth. Not just halfway in the sky. That was phase one when he takes the church, trumpet call of God. Let me just read to you. That event in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And when when Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to bring the saints with him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, phase one, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There's that word in the Greek, it's arpazo, but in the Latin it's raptus, will be raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So phase one, the Lord comes, trumpet call of God. The church Christians are taken from the earth in the twinkling of an eye. We just leave. It's just a miraculous thing that happens. And that can happen at any point. Go to be with the Lord. Tribulation happens on the earth. And then at the end of this, which culminates in the battle of Armageddon, the Lord returns. And he overthrows the enemies who are opposed to him and opposed to Israel. And he establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And that is the second phase of his second coming. So sometimes when Christians throw around that word, well, the second coming of Christ. Well, are you talking about the rapture part? Or are you talking about him coming all the way to the earth part? Because those are separated by at least seven years. Because that's the period of the tribulation, seven years. So... The Lord returns here, verse 26, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. 
And verse 27, and this seems to indicate now he's coming back to the earth at this point. Verse 27, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. And, And so there will be this great gathering because people on earth who survived the tribulation, who have had an opportunity to put their faith and trust in Christ, will then be gathered. Jesus is going to return with the saints who have been kept in heaven, comes to the earth, gathers those who have gotten saved during the tribulation, those who haven't been killed for their faith at this point, and he's going to establish his kingdom now on earth for a thousand years. But wait, it's going to tell us here there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It says this in verse 26, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, this this list we just went over, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, wait a minute. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. They've passed away. So how how are these words true when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass away? until all these things have happened. Well, the word generation is the Greek word genos, and you, get, you can translate it also race. Race of people. Now, what the real promise here is that God is, is saying that He will be faithful to the Jewish people, that the race of the Jews will not pass off the face of the earth, though they will be persecuted, though they will be dispersed, though they will be horribly, brutally treated and killed, a.k.a. Holocaust and other kinds of horrible things that have happened to the Jews because there's been this constant attack against the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism is rooted in the pit of hell, and but that thing is driven by demonic principalities that would incite people to kill the Jews. And, and we see it in, in history, unlike any other people. You look at the ancient cultures. You, you look at the people of China. You, you, you look at Egyptians. You, you look at the people of India. These are all ancient cultures that date back thousands of years. But you look at all of those cultures, and you have over a billion people in China, over a billion people in India, you, you, and yet you have among the Jews about 15 million. That's all. Compared to a billion of some of these other ancient cultures. Why? Because over... The generations, they've been persecuted, they've been dispersed, they've been killed. And yet God is faithful. He says, but this race will not pass away until all these things have happened. Verse 31, now here's here's where heaven and earth, it says, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, don't be alarmed there and think, well, heaven and earth is going to pass away. What's going to happen to me? Because the Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. But the present heavens will be emptied when the Lord brings the saints with him back to the earth. And Jesus will rule and reign here for a thousand years, the Bible teaches us. And then at the end of the thousand years, this present earth is also going to be destroyed. Let me read to you. You don't need to turn there. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this. In verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then he says further down, this is 2 Peter 3, 12. So as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements, talking about the earth, will melt in the heat. 
So sometimes people ask me, do you personally believe in global warming? I say, yeah, not the kind that they teach in science classes. The kind I believe is the kind the Bible teaches. This, this, this earth is going to end up looking like a marshmallow on the end of a campfire stick. Do you understand? It, there's going to be some serious global warming because the Lord is going to burn it completely. And, and that's what's going to happen. But, verse 13, Peter keeps writing, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And Revelation 21 is all devoted to a, a detailed description of the new heaven and, and the new earth. And what ends up happening is, you know that expression, it's like heaven on earth. Well, there will actually be a time when heaven will be on earth, and that's what Revelation 21 is all about. You can go home and, and read that later on your own time. It's a glorious chapter that talks about a new heaven and a new earth. But, th- but Jesus says here in Mark 13 that there will be a new heaven, new earth, this present heaven, the present earth will pass away. He says, but my words will never pass away. Please, please note that. This is why we take an inordinate amount of time, intentionally, to be studying the Word of God around here. Because a lot of things are going to come and go. And a lot of things are going to change. And a lot of things are going to rise, and a lot of things are going to fall. But the Word of God will last forever. And so we need to invest ourselves in those things that are eternal. And Jesus says, my words will never pass away. All that he says are true and timeless. Well, he adds here in verse 32, he says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, this makes for some interesting theological discussion here. You know, I thought Jesus knows all things because he's God, but yet he says you're related to his second coming. Nobody knows, not the angels, not even himself, not even the Son. And listen, though God knows all things, and though Jesus is God, He is fully God and fully man, however, Jesus voluntarily restricted His knowledge when He took on the limitations of humanity. He divested Himself of His glory, He comes from heaven to earth, and He enters into our our time-space continuum. You know, God is outside of time and space. And when he brings himself within the time-space continuum, he voluntarily limits himself to an aspect of that humanity aspect of who he is and who he was. Uh, You know, look, when you think about God just in general, do you ever think of God as getting tired? Does he ever get tired? Well, no. But did Jesus ever get tired? Well, yes. When you think about God in general... You know, in a universal term, in terms of being our creator and sovereign God of the universe, do you ever think of him as getting hungry or perspiring? Well, no. But when you think of Jesus, yes, because he subjected himself to certain limitations because of his humanity. And, and when he walked a great distance, he, he got tired and he perspired and he got hungry. And th- those are th- that's the human aspect. And when he divests himself of his glory... And he enters our world, there are some things that he voluntarily limited himself to, and this is one of them. That the knowledge of that second coming, I don't even know. I voluntarily limited myself in the knowledge of that. Now, does he know now? Because now he's back with God the Father. I don't know. 
All I know is he's coming again. Amen. He's coming again. And so verse 33. So he says this. Here's the charge. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. In other words, it could be at any time of the day or night. He says, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, he means spiritual sleeping, because he just got through saying that it might be at midnight or when the rooster crows, like at 6 a.m. But he means, in other words, be spiritually alert. Don't be sleeping. And verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch. And it is the Greek word Gregorio. And Gregorio means to be vigilant and awake, to don't be spiritually slack and lazy, and, and, you know, not tuned in. Be ready, because look, there are still a lot of prophecies that the Bible talks about that are yet to unfold, uh, particularly as it relates to, you know, the second coming and the millennial period, the thousand-year reign, and new heaven, new earth. There's, there's a lot of stuff still to happen. But please note that there is not another biblical prophecy that we're waiting on before the Lord would come in the clouds, blow the trumpet, and take the church. Since the nation of Israel reformed and fulfilled the prophecy of Ezekiel in 1948 as a nation, when dry bones came together and once again became a living body, there's no other prophecy that we're waiting on before the trumpet call of God could sound and and God raptures the church. So what does that mean? That means we have to be ready. And we have to be living our lives in such a way that He could come at any moment. In fact, that's something else that Peter said there in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 11. He says, well, since everything will be destroyed in this way, talking about the future of the earth will eventually be destroyed by fires, so will the heavens. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He asks, and then he answers it, next sentence, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's the mandate for for the church, that until Christ returns, He better find us faithful, and He better find us watching and ready for His second coming. And that means living a holy life like He could come at any moment, because He could. And this is the hope of the church. But yet some people are living like he's just never going to come back. And we need to instead be living with vigilance, to be awake spiritually, that is to say, and to be on our guard and to be looking and to be expectantly waiting for his return. And so that's what he exhorts us to be about here. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Mark on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can also download our mobile app. 
Find the On The Go link under the Teachings tab. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Cornerstoneconnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. We'd love to meet you, but if you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our 11.45 a.m. service also offers interpreting for those who speak Spanish. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, we'd be honored to talk with you. Send us an email at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us to study the book of Mark. We hope you'll tune in again here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know